Good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Going to read Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 this morning as we continue our sermon series, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And as you're turning there, I'll uh, refer to that same article that Stephen mentioned earlier that was written in the New York Times by Tish Warren uh, entitled, Want to Get Into the Christmas Spirit? Face the Darkness. And it's really an interesting article. Some of you might have read it. I uh, included it or a link to it in the, the weekly email this past week. And because she, she challenges us as Christians to really think about Advent and, you know, what we normally do this time of year with a whole lot of celebration uh, and happiness. And what she challenges us to think about is that uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, in this season, we, we're, we're putting on sort of a false sense of happiness. And um, in some ways, we're uh, maybe faking uh, some happiness because we don't like to wrestle with how dark and messed up our world really is. And she suggests that Advent is a, a time when we can do something that will be more beneficial to us than pretending like everything's okay. And that's actually facing the darkness and then aching appropriately and deepening our longing for Christ to come and make all things new. Now, one of the things she says in that article, which is interesting, is no matter what you believe, we we can all recognize that the world is not as it should be. In fact, here's what she says. The believer and atheist alike can argue or can uh, agree that there is an undeniable brokenness to the world, a sickness that needs remedy. Whether we assign blame to human sinfulness, a political party, corporate greed, ignorance, tribalism, or nationalism, or some of each, we can admit that things are not as they should be, or at least not as we wish they were. And, you know, if you think about it, one of the reasons that we don't like thinking about the darkness of the world, the the way the world is messed up, is because it it makes us face something that we don't want to acknowledge, and that's our helplessness our finitude, our inability to do a whole lot about all the tough things in the world. And as we continue our sermon series through the first part of Luke here, we come to this part where we are going to see uh, how radically different God is than we are, and we're going to see something about God that I think will transform who we are. You know, because while we tend to be people who want to avoid looking at the darkness of the world, avoid looking at the injustice of the world, avoid letting those things pull us down. Uh, God is one who enters in. We worship a God who comes into the darkness, uh, does not run away, but goes into it to change things. That's uh, such a powerful truth that we see as we think about Christmas and as we celebrate Advent. So we're going to think about that this morning. Let me uh, read now from Luke 1, 26 through 38. This passage is normally referred to as the Annunciation, the announcement uh, that the Son of God would be coming to earth, born of a virgin. So hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through your spirit and by your son. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to grow in our understanding of who our God is and how that transforms who we are. And we pray that you will fill us now with a vision of the glory of Jesus in this passage. And that you would continue to equip us and excite us to continue our mission to make disciples. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to answer a question this morning. Uh, the question being, how did the Son of God enter into the darkness of the world as we know it? How did the Son of God enter into this world, this dark world as we know it? And I think as we answer that question from what we see in this passage this morning, it will transform how we look at the darkness of the world, how we see the injustice and the suffering and things in the world. And so we're going to answer that question. How did the Son of God enter into the darkness of the world as we know it? Uh, we're going to see that he entered, number one, humbly. Number two, graciously. Number three, intentionally, and number four, miraculously. So those four things this morning, humbly, graciously, intentionally, and miraculously. Uh, Let's take a look at how he entered humbly. Look at verses 26 and 27. The eternal Son of God entered into the darkness of this world humbly. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth to a virgin uh, betrothed to a man named Joseph who was of the house of David, Nazareth. Let's talk about what Nazareth means for just a moment here because I think it helps us understand how uh, the Son of God came to our dark world humbly. If you are familiar with the story of Jesus in the New Testament, you know that he's often referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. And so you have to ask, what is so special about Nazareth? Why Nazareth? And the reality is the reason that Jesus is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth is because the name Jesus was one of the most common names uh, in this time. There was lots of people named Jesus, and so they called him Jesus of Nazareth to distinguish him from other people named Jesus. But that still leaves the question then, well, what's so special about Nazareth? And here's what's so special about Nazareth. Nothing. In fact, Nazareth was sort of considered to be sort of a a podunk town where nothing important ever happened. Uh, You may remember what Nathaniel says in John 146 about Nazareth uh, when he hears that uh, Jesus is from Nazareth, Nazareth. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And that's pretty important information to understand because it tells us that the Son of God chooses to come into the darkness of our world, the Son of God who is equal in power and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he comes into this this town that just doesn't matter. And it's either confusing or it's revealing, and I think it's actually very revealing. It reveals that when the Son of God came to earth, he came humbly. Not making a big splash, not making a big, uh, a bunch of pomp and circumstance and fanfare. He came humbly. He chose to come to a humble town. He chose to come to humble people and, uh, really be known from, to, known as being from a place where it's very ordinary and there's nothing really special. He came humbly. And here's why this matters. This matters because it's easy for us to assume that's when we can't see Jesus at work, when we can't see God doing something uh, in, in terms of the darkness of the world, it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. Because we see here that when Christ comes into the darkness of our world, he comes very humbly. There's not a, a big fanfare. There's not a big uh, celebration at the time. Yet he's coming. He's coming in. And he's coming to begin the end of the darkness. Which means when we look around and we see darkness and injustice in the world, it's easy for us to think, well, nothing's happening, God's not doing anything about that, but we should believe the contrary. That just because we can't see God at work, just because we can't see what Christ is doing about something that's bad in the world, doesn't mean something isn't actually happening. It's like those, um, when I was a little kid, we used to play with these little poppers. They were these little like rubber things that were concave in shape, and you'd push them uh, inside out and then set them on the table, you know what I'm talking about? And then they'd sit there for a second, eventually they'd pop up, and you'd kind of run across the room, and um, I'm realizing just how easily pleased I was as a child uh, as I tell you this. But what was so amazing about those poppers is you would, you would kind of set them up and turn them, and they'd be upside down, and, and it doesn't look like they're doing anything. But something is actually happening. This potential energy is building and building and building, and then pop. turns into kinetic energy, energy and there it goes. But there's that time where it just, it's just sitting there. It doesn't look like anything's happening, but something is. And brothers and sisters, as we realize the way Jesus came into the world, the way the Son of God entered into the world humbly, it reminds us that just because we can't see God at work in any given moment doesn't mean he's not. And it helps us to look at the darkness, the injustice of the world, and believe that God is at work. He may not be doing something flashy about it just now, but he is at work. He comes into the darkness of our world humbly. Number two, he comes graciously. Look at 28 through 30. The eternal Son of God entered the darkness of our world graciously. It says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This is really a beautiful thing because when you understand what Gabriel is saying, it helps us understand that the Son of God came graciously. And we see that in the way that that word favored that Gabriel uses when he's addressing Mary, favored one. That word is, is the, the root word is grace, charis, the Greek word charis. And so Gabriel is actually not saying, hey, Mary, full of grace. He's saying, Mary, you are the recipient of grace. He's actually showing that God is the one who's full of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor, right? 
Grace is when you treat somebody uh, in a certain way and they haven't earned it, they haven't deserved it, but yet you treat them with that blessing or that love or that kindness. Anyway, that's what grace is. And what's happening here is Gabriel is saying that Mary, he's not saying Mary is, is filled with grace, he's saying she's the recipient of grace. He's saying God is choosing to be very, very gracious to you. In fact, it's so important that he says it again in verse 29. Look at verse 29. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Another way to translate that would be to say, uh, do not be afraid, Mary. God is being very gracious to you. God is, uh, don't worry, Mary. God is about to give you something you haven't earned, you do not deserve. In other words, there's not something that's uh, special so much in Mary. There's something that's special in God. God has chosen to be gracious to her and uh, incredibly gracious in allowing her to be the mother of the Son of God. And this is so important because when, if we think that, that the Son of God came to earth to help people who have somehow earned it, well, then we're going to turn Jesus into some sort of cosmic Santa and we're only ever going to expect that he will help us or come to our aid or anybody's aid if they've somehow earned it. But what's so beautiful about the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come, the Son of God has come, not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because of grace, because of the grace of God. And that's what we see here in this address to Mary. Mary was chosen out of sheer grace. And that helps us realize that Christ helps us. He comes to us. He comes into our darkness or he goes into other dark places of the world by grace, not when people have earned it or deserve it. There's these um, three firemen who stumbled across a kitten who had got its head stuck in a sort of cement drain pipe. Uh, Some of you might have seen this video on Facebook. And uh, it's very interesting. They find this kitten, and this kitten has gone into, put its head into this drain pipe, but it cannot get its head back out. And so these firemen decide to take the drain pipe and the cat back to their fire station so they can hopefully help this cat. And the cat is, as you might imagine, struggling. Uh, and they're, they're trying to get it out. They, they try all these different uh, methods to free this kitten, but they just can't get it out. So they decide... Now, let me explain uh, this in case... Uh, so that it was like the cylinder... And then it was, there was part of the cylinder that the cat's head was in. It wasn't all around its neck or something. That's important for what I'm about to tell you. They, um, they decided that the only way they're going to be able to get this kitten out of this pipe is if they take the jaws of life and, and smash it, you know, break the pipe so they can free this kitten. So they get the jaws of life and they put it on the pipe and the little kitten is there and they're trying to, you know, uh, protect the kitten as much as they can and this thing starts to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and all of a sudden, bang, it breaks it open. And, uh, and somehow the cat is totally okay. The little kitten made it and they, they rescued this little kitty. And then the, the rest of the video is them petting it and it's sweet. And, uh, but, but the thing is, like these guys, these firefighters, they didn't owe that cat anything. They didn't owe that kitten a rescue. They just did that out of grace. That cat was rescued not because there was something special about the cat, but because there was something special about those firefighters. Those guys chose to show grace to this little kitten. And that's what we're seeing uh, shown to Mary, and that's what we're seeing shown to us. God is gracious. God cares for us. God loves us. God blesses us. God redeems us. God forgives us. God declares us righteous. All by grace. And 
that's important for us to recognize because not only do we want to see that when the Son of God enters darkness, he enters humbly, but he also enters graciously, meaning he does not make people earn his help. And so as we see the darkness of the world, we can remember that Christ comes. Christ is at work. Christ does not make people earn his help. Third, intentionally. Uh, Christ comes humbly and graciously and intentionally. Look at 31 through 33. The eternal Son of God entered the darkness of our world intentionally. Uh, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's so many powerful things said here, but there's two key things in these verses, and that is this declaration that the Son of God is coming to do two primary things, to rescue and to reign. To rescue and to reign. Uh, let's talk about rescue. We see that really in his name. Yes, there were many people back there named Jesus back in this time period. But it is actually incredibly appropriate for the Savior, for the Son of God to be named Jesus because Jesus' name literally means Yahweh saves or God saves. So Jesus, the Son of God, is the incarnation of the truth of the fact that God saves. And so we know that he is uh, a deliverer. In Matthew's gospel, uh, the angel talking uh, to Joseph says to name Jesus, Jesus, because, Matthew one twenty one, he will save his people from their sins. And this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came not only to be born a man, but then to live a perfect life, and to die a sinner's death, and to be buried, and to be raised from the dead, so that all of us who believe in him could be truly forgiven and declared righteous through faith alone. He came to rescue sinners like you and me. But he also came to rule, and that's really what's emphasized here. Look at verses 32 and 33 again, where it talks about him receiving the throne of his father David. So he's this promised king. He's this promised ruler who's going to come, and he's going to establish this kingdom. And this kingdom will have no end. And really, it's so interesting, This at the Annunciation, that's what's being emphasized. That Jesus is this long-awaited king who's going to reign. He's going to rescue And he's also going to reign. He's going to rule. And the thing that we have to understand is when anyone or anything is under the righteous rule of God, uh, that's when it flourishes. Everything in this world is designed to function at its best when it is submitting to what God's design is for it. And that goes for absolutely everything. And he came to reign. He came to rule and reign so that everything under his rule... Everything that comes under his rule would actually be transformed and would flourish. And that matters because as we look at the darkness in the world, the injustice in the world, knowing that the Son of God is here to reign and he's reigning more and more and more. As more and more people come to know who he is and come under his righteous rule, they're transformed. And the world is more and more populated with people who know him and who are seeking the good of the world. Now, you know who Caesar Milan is? Some of you probably uh, have seen his show, the, the Dog Whisperer. 
very interesting individual, Cesar Milan. He's able to somehow communicate with dogs and get them to go from being incredibly uh, angry or vicious or problematic, and then they become these wonderful dogs. He's, he is a dog transformer, to be sure. Uh, in one episode, Caesar's asked to help this woman named Linda, who has a beagle named Sugar, who was uh, chewing everything up and uh, terrorizing the home and chewing up uh, remotes and uh, clothing and carpet, but also chewing up her arms. Uh, she rolls back her sleeves in this episode, and you can see all these bite marks and scars and scabs. And it looks terrible. It looks like she's a, been tortured. And so Caesar asks uh, her, you know, if you know what, how can he help? And she explains that she just needs somebody to transform sugar uh, into uh, a kind dog. And uh, so Caesar sits down. And he asks some questions of Linda, and then he goes to work. And it's very interesting. He puts a newspaper and a plastic cup and a remote, TV remote, in front of the dog. And this terrible dog ends up reaching for the newspaper, and right as the dog takes it, Caesar pulls it back, and then he sets it down again, and then the dog bites on the newspaper again, and then Caesar pulls it away, and Caesar bites the dog. Now, let me explain how he bit. Um, he didn't bite with his mouth, but he, he knows how dogs communicate with one another. So he, he tells Linda, my hand is the mouth and my fingers are the teeth. And he kind of grabs the dog by the shoulder and pinches it a little bit as if to say, you're not allowed to do that. And um, then the dog jumps up on him and he holds the dog down for a little bit gently, but showing that uh, sugar was not in control. And uh, these things go on for uh, a while, and then uh, the dog uh, starts to try to go after the plastic cup, and Caesar goes, shh, and the dog stops, and then it grabs the cup again, and he just says, shh, and the dog drops the cup. I mean, it's amazing. This guy's amazing. And so, but what, what's happening, though, is slowly but surely, this dog is, is changing, and by the end of this show, this dog has become this wonderful, sweet uh, lovable beagle uh, and actually began to live up to its name, Sugar. It started to be an actual sweet dog. And as you see this total transformation. And what happened though? He, tell, he ends up tell, Caesar ends up telling Linda that the, the big problem was that she, there was no rules, that, that uh, the dog did whatever it wanted and that's why the dog was doing whatever it wanted and being such a terror. And he was showing that this, what, what this dog needed was somebody to come in and take control. And that's, I mean, to be honest, that is exactly what we need. You and I, on our own, are broken by the fall. We're broken by our sin. And we will always and only be a burden unless we are brought under the righteous rule of a good king, of a loving, righteous God who knows exactly what we need to flourish and so it's such good news that, that Jesus has come, that the Son of God has come, not only to rescue, but to reign and to reign over us. And as you and I submit ourselves more and more to his rule, let him be king of our lives, you and I are transformed more and more and we become more of agents of good, pushing back the darkness in our world. So he came both to rescue and to reign Third or fourth, and finally, he came miraculously. He came humbly, he came graciously, he came intentionally, and then fourth, miraculously. Look at verse 24 through 38. The eternal Son of God entered the darkness of the world miraculously. Verse 34, Mary asked the question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be 
born will be called holy, the son of God. And uh, he goes on to say in, in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Now, before we talk about the virgin birth, I want to address something here, because if you remember from last week, uh, Zechariah asked a question when Gabriel told him the news about that he would he and his wife would have a son, John. And when Zechariah asked the question, he was muted for nine months. And here, Mary's asking a question, and she doesn't seem to get in trouble. Okay, so let's look at that real quick. I want you to notice the difference between the two questions. Uh, Zechariah asked, how will I know? He was asking for proof. He was asking for a sign. He was asking out of unbelief. How, do, how could I know that this stuff is really going to happen? Mary's question is not one coming from unbelief. It's actually more of inquisitiveness. She's saying, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She understood how things worked, and so she was really just legitimately asking, how's, what's, how's this going to happen? What's next, so to speak? And so, uh, it's important that we understand that the reason that Zechariah gets in trouble is because he was asking for a sign. Jesus tells us not to do that in Mark sixteen thirty four. Mary is simply asking for an explanation. And we know that that is something that God welcomes. Think about in Acts chapter 8, 31, when the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scriptures and he's saying, how am I going to understand this if somebody doesn't explain it to me? And then uh, it is explained to him by Philip. So so that's the difference. Uh, one question comes out of unbelief and it's asking for a sign. Mary's question is one that comes out of belief. She's just asking for an explanation. So we see that, or having seen that, then we can talk about the virgin birth. And I know that a lot of people do struggle with this because they struggle with the idea of miracles. And um, and so the, this is a, an area where some people say this is why they don't believe in Christianity, because Christianity uh, in, in part is based on these miracles, uh, a virgin conception. And what's interesting to realize is that... It, God actually has uh, Jesus' earthly life bookended with miracles, the, the virgin conception and birth, and then the resurrection, and then also filled with miracles. Jesus performed miracles all the way through. Now, I would love to be able to say something that would make you suddenly go, okay, now I do believe in miracles. I actually can't. I don't have that power. God does, and if you don't believe in miracles, I, I, I pray that God would open your heart to, to show you that he does uh, perform miracles because of why he does. Why does God do miracles? Why are there miracles bookending the life of the Son of God, the earthly life and ministry of the Son of God? And it is uh, to teach us something incredibly important, something that when we believe it about God, it's a source of real peace. In fact, uh, J.C. Ryle says, a hearty reception of this great principle is of immense importance to our own inward peace. What is he talking about? Well, if you think about, you know, our hope for today is that understanding how the Son of God came into the darkness of the world will help us look at darkness differently and know more what to do. Uh, Here is why we have all these miracles in the scriptures. The reason God puts the miracles in this story is to prove to us what is said in verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Our God wants us to be certain that nothing is impossible for him, nothing will be impossible for him. 
And so he, uh, he, even in creation, he created everything out of nothing. And then everything through the scriptures, all of the miracles are designed to show us that God is all-powerful, that God can do anything, that nothing will be impossible with God. And this matters personally because it reminds us that no matter what struggles we're facing, no matter what darkness we're facing, God can do something about it. God is powerful enough. There's nothing he cannot do. Phil Riken says it this way. There's no sin he cannot forgive. There's no relationship he cannot reconcile. No problem he cannot solve. No need he cannot meet. No ministry he cannot bless. No grief he cannot comfort. No life he cannot reclaim. No sinner he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the God who makes all things possible. And the bottom line is when you and I believe that we've been forgiven and we've been declared righteous and that all things are possible with God, it totally changes the way we see darkness and injustice and suffering in the world. Because we know, A, God can do something about it, but we also know that he can use us. That he can use people like us in pushing back the darkness and revealing the glory of his kingdom. I mean, just think about that. If, as, we, as we look at how the Son of God comes into the world humbly and graciously and intentionally and miraculously, it teaches us how we can look at the darkness of the world and we can address things. We, can't, we can do things. We're not helpless because we are people who know this God. So we too can look at the darkness in the world and we can address it humbly and we can address it graciously and we can go after it intentionally, trusting that God can use us even in miraculous ways. And what if we really believe that? What if it's about you and I seeing the way Jesus leads us into the darkness to bring the light of Christ humbly and graciously and intentionally and trusting that he can do anything, that all things are possible with him? What if in 2020, some of you who are mature in your faith sought to actively disciple someone who's younger in the faith, newer in the faith? We need that. We have new believers among us. What if some of us who are younger in the faith actively sought out being discipled, being taught, so that you can grow in coming under the righteous rule of Christ even more and becoming an even more powerful agent of good, making more disciples and making a difference? What if we as a church are praying regularly about the ways God might use us to address darkness and injustice in our city in 2020? And that we would follow our king and go forth humbly and graciously and intentionally and trusting that all things are possible with God. Who knows what he might do? Especially as we continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we, we do ask that you would um, help us to see the way the Son of God has come into the darkness, humbly and graciously and intentionally and even miraculously. And would you embolden us as we spend this Advent season aching for the return of Christ? Would you help us to be a people who are emboldened by our King and what He's done for us to go forth and to, to address places of darkness and injustice and suffering in our city. Would you use us all for your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.